Viewer discretion is advised. We're not in the aftermath of colonization. It's happening right now. People thought, you know, we, we put our, our weapons down and, you know, we live in the same society. But I think the, the field of battle has just changed. It's, a, it's one of ideas. It's one of words. It's one of policies. Mandate. Welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing is off the table. Tonight's guest is from Tamaki Makuru. He is from the west side of Okilani. He graduated from the University of Auckland with a Bachelor of Laws and was admitted as, as a solicitor in the New Zealand High Court. And so by day, he is your criminal defence lawyer. But in the evenings, he's, he's renowned as um, a man called Maximilian. He's a professional wrestler in the... Uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. So please put your hands together for this amazing young man, Bronson Burgess. Oh, thank you so much. I don't love it. Also, hey, thank you so much for coming out. I know you live you live a bit of a bit of a, uh, a ways from from Damakimagu, oh, in Auckland or South Auckland to be exact. So you you travel away from from Hamilton. But before we kind of dive into the conversation, also because you're a lawyer and and also a wrestler, and so that's a bit of a bit of a contrast, you know, in terms of and who you are. So tell us before we kind of dive into more so the law. Tell us how did the, how did the wrestling come about? Oh, I've loved it for as long as I've known it existed. Um, I think the fire was really reignited um, back in 2017. I discovered New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, I had to see it for myself. And uh, I jumped on a plane and uh, went to Tokyo. And I saw my favorite uh, Japanese wrestlers. I saw uh, Bad Luck Fale. I saw my coach, um, Aaron Henare. And um, I just felt uh, so drawn to it that I wanted to be a part of it. It was just um, almost a place where um, fantasy and um, reality w- was blurred. There was larger than life characters. And um, I just wanted to get amongst it. So. Yeah, I had always wanted to be a wrestler, but that's when I became um, serious about it. Man, awesome, bro. Awesome. Man, I'm curious about where the interest for law came from. Is that also something that you've kind of always had an eye on, or is that something that's come fairly recently? Which one came first? And if you had to prioritise the two, which which one speaks to your heart more? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, um, you know, I I had um, thought a long time about um, how I wanted to contribute to society. I I knew that, um, you know, once I left high school and I had to do something um, that was going to benefit somebody else. Um, My dad, he served in the New Zealand police for 30 years. um, And my mum, she's been a school teacher for uh, over 20. And so... Um, I understood the importance of um, service-based roles or, or, or you know, lifting up um, uh, people in the community. So I wanted to do something um, along those lines. But um, also my parents have, um, you know, taught me about the history of New Zealand and um, of colonisation. And um, as a Māori man, um, I really felt as though if I was going to do something to help out my community, um, that should be, you know, my Māori people. Um, what they were able to help me to understand as well that whether it's the um, justice system, whether it's the health system, whether it's the education system, you know, not ev- not all people benefit equally. Um, another thing that they helped me to understand is, you know, we talk about colonization as, as something that's happened in the past or something that's you know a, a historical event. And what I've come to understand is that it's currently ongoing. You know, we're not in the aftermath of colonization; it's happening right now. And so, you know, 
I think people thought, you know, we, we put our, our weapons down and, you know, we live in the same society. But I think the, the field of battle has just changed. It's, a, it's one of ideas, it's one of words, it's one of policies. And so, um, you know, the fight's still going on. It's just the platform's different. And so um, I really felt drawn to um, wanting to support that cause and um, create some equality and some balance. Um, and, um, yeah, my parents um, really directed me on that path. And, you know, I've been able to do my own research and, um, you know, uh, pondering about that since then. So that's really where it started is, is from my parents. Yeah. Um, if I had to prioritise one, though, uh, I think people need me to be a lawyer. No one needs me to be a wrestler. And so as much as I'd love to perform and, um, you know, um, get out there and do some slams and do some flips, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm drawn to something that's actually going to... Um, yeah, sometimes some of the things you talk about in the courtroom between somebody's um, uh, happiness and their, their entire future... And so, um, you know, I, I really need to put them first. And as much as uh, I, I do love wrestling. So that's not, that's not kind of like, is, is Maximilian kind of like your alter ego kind of... Um, oh, yeah. Well, frustrations? <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I, I um, wanted to do something that, uh, uh, yeah, really was a challenge. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed... Um, developing Maximilian because um, he was different from um, what had been done within uh, Warrior Wrestling, um, which is the organisation that I'm a part of. Um, and everybody wanted to do the rough, tough uh, caveman um, knock you out. And, um, you know, I, I do love uh, Rick Rude. I do love Scott Steiner. And so I realised no one was doing the sexy shtick. And so I was like, oh, gosh, this is so outside my comfort zone. But this is what's going to make me stand out. And so, yeah, I, I mean, you, you can't pull off the sexiness without, you know, having the right physique. So, oh, yeah, that's one thing that I really had to focus on was um, my dieting and my exercise. And, yeah, that's something that's um, been really rewarding. Um, I think it's um, really improved me as a, a person. But, yeah. I don't know about that because it seems quite natural when you're coming out of the, <laughs> <laughs> the entrance of Bronson with the, oh, the ravishing Rick Roo kind yeah. of. Um, they they told me no more baby oil as well. I was like, <laughs> why not? I don't know. There's not enough. <laughs> not enough baby oil. <laughs> I, I thought when um, Pete was doing your entry, you know, uh, he's lawyer. By day and skacks the luck by night. <laughs> I don't know what he was gonna say, but yeah, pretty much um, skacks the luck at night. Um, but <laughs> it's cool. Like the contra contracts, the contrast is so different. Like um, between lawyer and wrestling, um, but it's almost like you get to be. It's like an outlet, eh? Mm. Like you can be someone else or you get to, you're not, it's all about you. You don't have to, you know, it's like, is it, can you talk about it? Like, is it like a self-care type of thing when yeah. you're doing wrestling? Yeah, uh, definitely one of the reasons why I do it is to provide balance for my life. Um, doing two completely different things, you know, means that, um, my identity gets to be a little bit complex. If one thing was to fall over or if I was not to have interest in it anymore, I still got something else, you know, going in, in my life. Um, and sometimes, you know, both sides can um, wear you down a little bit mentally or physically. And 
and so it's good just to have that reprieve and somewhere else to go and um, yeah, I learned a little bit more about my personality by venturing into different fields as well. I learned things about myself that I didn't know before. Um, and especially one of the best things is that you get to meet um, different characters or, or personalities that you wouldn't have otherwise meet. You know, when I'm in the courtroom, um, you know, that's very different from people that I'd, I'd meet um, as I'm doing my wrestling training. Um, get to be uh, creative in one place and then you get to really knuckle down with the academic side in another. And that's awesome. And, you know, with your role as a lawyer, like, some of that stuff can be really heavy, eh? Like, how do you, like, decompress after, like, a, a day where it's really taken a lot of the, you know, a lot of those court hearings will take a lot out of you? Like, what do you do for self-care? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, I... I'm a member at Liz Mills, um, and uh, I went the other day, and um, my key tag um, uh, beeped three times, and I I thought that you know I, maybe my bill didn't get paid or whatever, um, and I asked the receptionist, oh what does that mean? She said, oh you've been here two thousand times, and um, I was just like oh my goodness, I thought about how many hours of my life that was, um, but um, you know I think um, putting myself under the um, the stress really of you know lifting heavy weights so, you know you got to prepare yourself mentally and that's sort of transferable to um, other aspects of your life and I, what I've found is in anyone that I know who's um, succeeded in in life um, they've um, always made that time for uh, like a walk or um, a, a, um, they've got a sport going um, something that just um, keeps the body going so the endorphins can flow better um, and they can build up their ability to push themselves. So uh, going to the gym is, is something that's um, just part of my life now, and um, yeah, that's something that I, I really do to um, sort of build my um, temperance. Yeah. It's cool, man. It's cool. Because it is, it is quite strange when you think of a, a lawyer, criminal defence lawyer, and then by night you, you're Maximilian, the, the pro wrestler. <laughs> but, but in terms of being a lawyer, because you mentioned colonisation, and you mentioned that it's, it's still prevalent uh, in, in this day and age. And so as a lawyer, in terms of the justice system, are there parts in the justice system do you feel like, oh man, there needs to be something that needs to be amended? Or do you see some of that colonisation within the justice system? Yeah, well, one of the things that, um, especially when it comes to, uh, I think, you know, in, in Māori culture, in Pacifica culture, we view ourselves as part of a collective. And I think that's why in those societies we were more willing to um, not seek punitive um, outcomes um, for when somebody, um, you know, broke a, a law or a code um, because they were an extension of ourselves and um, or, or we considered them a brother and sister. When you're in an individualistic society, you're less inclined um, to want to reach out because they're a stranger, they're not your brother or sister. And so I see that reflected in um, our justice system as um, those elements of bringing somebody in and providing them with rehabilitation um, uh, a second to uh, the punitive element or, you know, the public getting revenge for what you've done within society. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was able to go to um, Auckland South Corrections Facility and um, they took me into the Pacifica Wing. And um, I walked in there and I felt a, a special spirit. And um, 
well, before I walked in there, they said, oh, you can't come in, we're not ready. And I thought, what do you mean they're not ready? I walked in and they were, all 60 of them were sitting in a semicircle and there were some empty seats up the front. And, um, you know, they welcomed me in, they sung me songs and um, performed uh, at different uh, dances. And then they spoke a little bit and they said, you know, when we're amongst ourselves and we, um, you know, have our uh, different initiatives um, uh, led by Pacifica for Pacifica, um, you know, the, these make a difference to us. Um, we know that the people there are uh, there to care for us. Um, and so it's easier for us to make a difference. And I was able to embrace them and hug them. And I just give a shout out to them now, to those men um, in the Pacific Union at uh, Auckland South Corrections Facility. Still thinking about you guys, and um, I'm still keen to come and see you guys. So anyone at Serco, yeah, let me come back and visit them. But um, yeah, that's one thing that I notice is that um, yeah, there's that obsession almost with punishing um, rather than bringing them in. And that's because of how... Um, we view ourselves or the prevailing view. Yeah. Because you, you look at the stats as well. Um, also, um, Bronson, some of the stats, are obviously, of our Māori and Pacifica are quite high in terms of um, being incarcerated. In terms of, uh, as, as a lawyer, is there things that you feel like that, need, that needs to be rectified in terms of um, certain programs that are working or may not be working or are working? In terms of, because a lot of our men may be watching this and think, hey, and maybe totally gets oh the justice system is is, is corrupt, you know, it's broken, all that kind of stuff. But is there a brighter side or a more positive side that our men can can take and say, oh wow, that's I didn't realize that. I, I one of the things that um, is uh, I've been really impressed by is um, when it comes time for somebody to be sentenced um, by law, um, somebody is allowed to be um, allowed to put forward. Um, a report that um, talks about their cultural history and um, there's different report writers out there who are doing amazing work in um, uh, reaching out to um, some of our um, incarcerated people and helping them to understand uh, how a disconnect from their culture and their people and uh, their family history has led to their offending and um, it's been uh, an awesome way when the um, report is done right um, that the judge can sort of see that there are some mitigating factors. Um, and so the inclusion of, of that aspect um, in, in the sentencing process is, is very good. And I think, um, yeah, the, the report writers that are out there um, should be commended for the role that they play. Yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Man, um, it's kind of interesting just to hear... Um, you mentioned colonization and and just the justice system in general, and I think at least throughout my study, um, you know, we would learn aspects of colonization, and um, I've heard people talk about, um, you know, we're still suffering the effects of it today, um, and I suppose for some people, they may not know some of the practicalities of like how people still suffer from things like colonization. So I was just curious if you had any sort of examples that people can that you might refer people to consider when thinking about actually the system that we accept as normal actually has biases in it that maybe play against us depending on where we lay on the spectrum? Yeah. I, I can think of a few, um, and sometimes they're, they're invisible. Um, you don't really detect them. Um, I think, you know, when we talk about um, funding the arts, you know, a lot of money goes into the Royal New Zealand Ballet and the orchestra, 
um, as they should. Um, but then you've got Matatini, um, and mm. they, um, you know, aren't willing to give as much. Um, and to me, and, but on the other hand, Matatini is the one that's getting more viewers or, or meeting the standards for the funding. And so, you know, you look at that and you think, well, you know, if, if they're better meeting those standards for the funding, why aren't they receiving more? And it's just uh, prioritising, um, you know, they don't want to prioritise the Māori culture because it's not theirs or they don't feel some sort of affinity to it. Um, when a, a town um, has its name changed back to the, the original uh, Māori name and, um, you know, people climb up and tear down, the, you know, that, that's another form of, of battle. Um, and it's just things like that. Um, I think um, I went to the uh, uh, I went to Auckland um, University of Technology. I studied journalism before I went to um, law school, and um, I'd step in there, and um, I, I thought they th- the other students thought I was a weird guy because um, I did realize I didn't quite fit in. But um, I, I, I racked my brain thinking, you know, what did I do to make these people sort of standoffish towards me? And it wasn't until long after I graduated that it was, I realised it was nothing I had done. It was because how I looked. And I'm a lighter-skinned guy, and, I, and still that was... When I'd entered those spaces, there was almost a look of, like, what are you doing here? You know, um, this is our space. And, uh, you know, I think it's things like that. It doesn't have to be some overt display. Um, just thinking that you don't belong in certain spaces or some sort of consensus that um, that's the case. So that's another form yeah that's quite interesting and have you ever felt that way because i imagine um there aren't too many or maybe there's not as many maori and pacifica lawyers mm. as there should be do you ever find that in your profession as a lawyer that you still have to deal with gatekeepers and things like that uh, my experience in um, the law has fortunately been a lot better because i've had the support networks in university um, and and in the field um I was part of uh, the um, Māori Law Students Association, um, Te Rākau Ture. Um, I'm part of Te Hongaroya Māori, um, which is the Māori Lawyers Association. And I think um, having those networks there, um, you sort of um, gave me a shield or a protection or um, a place to, to belong. And so, um, yeah, I, while I know that that happens, it, that the gatekeeping is mitigated because I... Um, have those opportunities and people to turn to. So that's been a real strength. Mm. Thank you. So good news. Um, what are some misconceptions that um, people on the outside like, have of some of the clients that you work with in terms yeah. of um, are people going into, into jail? There's a lot of, yeah. yeah. What are some misconceptions? I, I uh, there was one time I was doing a, a sentencing for somebody and I'm just, I got assigned on the day and um, I recognised the name um, and I realised I went to school with them and, um, you know, years ago we were in the same position and then years later we find ourselves in different positions and I realised that there's not all that much difference between... Um, well, not too many different things happened in our lives, just a few key things. And I think that some people think that, you know, those who are in prison are, are so different from them. But really, just a few key events are different in, in your life. You really have the same upbringing, you have the same outlook. It's just that they've got the bad end of the sick and you were spared from that. And so you, 
they're not all that different from from you. you you find you might have a lot in common with them it's just that you know you, you'd never be able to know that because you, you don't want to engage with them because you've perceived them as um you know, as some sort of deviant um but yeah that's something that i've learned is you know those behind the bars just like us it's good because, you know, we have a justice system where a big majority of our people are, you know, are flooding our, our prisons and and a lot of people in society will be like, oh, they belong there. Um, do the crime, do the time. And for someone like you, it sounds like you have a heart of compassion for our people. Like you did a shout out to those in Circo. Not many people would do that. And, um, and so you, it, it seems like, you value them for people, as people, you don't. Um, so are you able to talk about, like, your heart towards the co-pop you do? Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of the people that I talk to, you know, they, they, I mean, then when they talk about policy, when they talk about the justice system, they think, you know, if we had the right system in place, then, you know, there'd be more peace in the world or in the country. Um, and I, I kind of think that before we look at the policy, before we look at um, the laws that we have in place, we need to take an inward look. I, I think instead of changing the system, we need to change our natures first to allow that system to take form and, and take effect. Um, because, you know, it's, everyone's going to resist unless they build upon their um, patience, their compassion. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think... Mm. I've, I've talked to some guys in the cells and I just think you could be my uncle you know um, I, I, I don't know I, I just try and see them as an extension of one of my whanau yeah yeah man awesome it's powerful yeah so what, what are you gauging um Bronson, in terms of obviously with all the ram raids and some of the, the, these younger uh, offenders are, are getting younger. Um, and so what's the, what's the climate out there in terms of these young offenders? And obviously you've, there's politicians with their own political views on ram raids and so forth. But what do you think? What, do you th- what, are, what is your thoughts around these ram raids and why our youth offen- offenders are getting younger? Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're interesting to kind of get your, your, your thoughts yeah, I think uh, a couple of key things have occurred in the last couple of years which have um, instigated um, uh, offending such as, as ram raids. I think uh, during the lockdowns um, there was a disengagement from education um, which provided um, some sort of edification or stability for, for our youth. You know, when they, they said that online learning was happening but I don't think that was happening across the board. And that's not because of uh, the education system at all. It, that's just because, you know, they didn't have the um, teacher presently there with them, you know, guiding them and observing them and helping them out. Um, you know, it's a lot of people can't turn to their parents and ask them, you know, how do you do this algebra? Um, and so, you know, they don't learn and so they don't feel as though that they're growing as a person. Um, and so I, I think that um, a lot of the offending is sort of um, a way for people to feel a sense of power, um, that they feel as though they have some sort of control, that they're able to impose their will, or that you know 
they feel um, disenfranchised or forgotten, whether they realise it or not, and that's a way for them to claim back some power. Um, and uh, you know, some of those things ended up on TikTok, and that's you know them wanting to feel some sense of victory. Um, and so, you know, I don't think they have some deviant nature where they want to steal necessarily. It's just that they want to feel as though they're heard and that they have some form of control and a place in, in society. And the other thing is the rising cost of living as well. I think a lot of these kids aren't uh, eating or they, um, you know, don't have the necessities of, of life. And, um, you know, that's uh, lashing out um, somewhat. I don't think I could find many of my friends um, and agree to pull off something like that, but they've managed to do that amongst themselves, and I think because they're all suffering the same way, they get it, you know, let's go and do a smash and grab because, you know, how else are we going to, um, you know, get through the next couple of days without taking? Um, so, yeah, I think... That's an important thing. Mm. When it comes to finding solutions for disengagement from school, because now that I don't know what they thought where they said, you know, the government said, you know, can't go to school. Okay, go to school. You know, the kids aren't just going to be able to switch like that. They, um, and so, you know, I've heard different politicians say, oh, you know, if you don't send your kids to school, then we're going to um, lobby to implement policies where... We, you know, the parents are punished mm. for not sending you there. Or I think one thing they did was invest in truancy offices. I think there was a $72 million package, or I forget the, the amount. But uh, I always wondered why they, they're not seeking solutions like, you know, oh, can we, if, if transport's an issue, you know, maybe we can provide some buses to get these kids to school. Um, maybe parents might be more inclined to send their kids to school if they offered um, lunches. You know, that's a bill off the parents, and the parents would be like, okay, we, we want you to eat. And once they eat, they have a greater ability to learn because they're nourished. Um, but, you know, they say, we're going to throw you in the ball stools and we're going to bring those back, um, or, you know, we're going to, you know, fine your parents if you don't come to school. Those are penalties. They're not solutions to the issue. They're, they're the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, you know. Man. Every person on the comment section on Herald seemed to um, have the solution for um, these ram raids, and most of them was like, uh, send them to prison. And these kids are like 13, 14, um, put their parents in prison, or um, we gotta um, send them to the military. Like, what do you say to some of those? <laughs> 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 well, what do you say to JSP? I mean, to some of these parents that, are, or some of these people that are commenting? Yeah, I, we can look at um, our history. Those things have been tried and they didn't work. Um, it's not as though you know what they're suggesting is something new. We did that, uh, and you know that didn't affect the trends of offending. Um, and you know, if we send them to prison, then they come back. You know the problem's still there or the the stresses are still there um, and so we need to find a solution to why they're behaving that way not punishing them for behaving that way we take away the cause then we're not going to have the effect yeah is this a individual individual problem or like a, a family problem or is it a community society yeah Problem. I think it's happening at all, at all levels. Um, I think there's a trickle-down effect as well. Um, you know, and there's a struggle to make ends meet um, uh, because, you know, the, the, the economy's um, taken a hit. 
um, then that affects the family's ability to provide food and then that affects the kids' ability to learn and then they don't want to go to school and then they find another way to uh, feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, and so, yeah, it is happening at all levels and there's not one answer or one solution. Um, but, yeah, um, penalties aren't the answer, yeah, in every instance. Shadows. I just feel like uh, Pete won't say it, but um, these politicians <laughs> seem, to be, uh, seem to be using it as a political ammo, I yeah. guess, um, seeing as political, yeah, using ram raids and a lot of this youth offending as one of the, I guess, points to be part of their policy do you think that's the case or yeah they, they know what they're doing uh they know that they're not giving an answer that's going to work but it appeal uh, it appeals to some sort of base desire to get back you know um or to take revenge or to to punish um you know it's a, it's a base emotion and so they're, they're appealing to to that part of people um yeah, so it's all just a ploy to try and do some puppetry. Um, they know it's not going to work, but that's what they know people want to hear. Sure. I like it. I like it. Did you, did you mention that? And you're upfront about it because you mentioned it early on. And you said, hey, these, these, these folks or these people who are in these high positions and politicians and whatever position that they're in, they're calling the shots, doing the, all these um, policies and so forth, and nothing's working. And so why, and it makes you wonder, why would you have these people in these positions and things, is, and they may be in these positions for over 10 years or even 20, 30 years, yeah. and, there's no, there's, and they, say, they claim to have these solutions, but nothing's working. Mm. And so what are your thoughts? Do you think like, there has to be like an overhaul? There needs, to, there needs to be like a change? Like, who, who are these folks? Well, a lot of people uh, who run uh, for a different... Um, uh, political positions they're only able to do so um, because they have the funds to campaign and the connections and you know when you have money that means that your lived experience is different from others and um, I think they're so disconnected from what it's like to not have and not be able to um, they, they just don't know the struggle that's why their answers are a whole lot different and they haven't gotten to where they are without stepping on a few people as well so that's become part of their MO um, but I, I think um, one of the ideas that I had is you know uh, we need to put limitations on how long people can be in certain uh, positions because it is a service role um, you know they can't just entrench themselves and you know um, yeah, yeah, I think that some of them got investments in certain things and so they're more willing to pass legislation that's going to result in a profit from them down the road. Um, so, you know, if we say, oh, you're only allowed to do that position for one term, you know, they're going to be like, oh, it's not, not going to result in the investment that I need for my side businesses that I, you know, keep hidden. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's why we need to limit the time that people are allowed to be in those positions so they don't entrench themselves and um, we need to make it easier for people to campaign or recognize that a lot of the times it's just rich people that you know have the ability to run for these positions yeah. so who are, 
So who are the real criminals now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that question is the answer oh, as well. Yeah. Man. Just tell us. Please tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Who's name got names for questions now? Starting from the top. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, as the lawyer, Bronson, the lawyer, is, is, you know, obviously, you, uh, as we share tonight and during the Tano but what would Maximilian, what would Maximilian the rest of say? What would you, the, the, persona, the persona of Maximilian, what would he say? If you're looking straight at the camera, what would Maximilian the, the rest of say to, <laughs> oh, to this ordeal and then to these people in, in these positions? Oh man, I think, uh, you know, I'd let my scissor kick do the talking right back of the head. Yeah. Just in the Maximilian persona. Oh. <laughs> how would you, how would you say that? Yeah, no. You have to answer him. Oh no, no, I, I need people to take me seriously. In this part of yeah. Man, that's really interesting though, because just thinking about at first, you'd kind of think that law and wrestling are, are worlds apart, and in some ways, they are, but. As you were speaking, it made me think about the power of storytelling and narratives and how, um, whether it's wrestling for an audience to get them on your side, telling a story physically through action, um, or as a lawyer trying to help tell the narrative of a person who's facing judgment. Um, you know, narrative is one of those things that sort of carries in both fields. Uh, are there, do you have something to say about the power of storytelling as a, you know, as a Maori lawyer and where sort of oral storytelling is mm. part of the history and the foundation of the people. Um, but also are there any other sort of interesting crossovers where you're able to pull some aspects of progressing that actually set you apart um, in the world of law? Yeah, I think, uh, well, most definitely um, it's well known that, you know, Pacific and Maori cultures are known for um, their storytelling abilities um, I think that's why there's so many good Samoan wrestlers and there's a whole lineage and history um, around that. And I don't know why we haven't necessarily incorporated pro wrestling into our identity as Pacific peoples because more often than not, any Pacific Island wrestler that you know makes it to the top level is one of the best. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I think they draw upon their um, cultural experience. Um, they're already used to speaking on the marae or, um, you know, um, singing songs um, or um, dances. They're used to that um, storytelling through physical action. Um, sorry, I forgot what your question was. <laughs> um, yeah. And then just the other, like any other uh, interesting crossover um, benefits from being a pro wrestler that helps set you apart in, in law. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you just get used to, um, you know, you really got to put yourself out there. All eyes are on, on you. And so, you know, when you're out in the ring, you know, I remember the one time I stepped out of the curtain and I got booed straight away and I was like, I haven't even done anything. <laughs> but um, uh, I went backstage and I was like, why is that? And they're like, oh, it's just jealous of your abs or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, you got to get used to having all eyes on you and still um, moving forward under that pressure. And so, you know, when I'm in the courtroom and I've got a judge in there giving me what might come across to me in the moment as a death stare, you know, you just got to continue on. And I think, uh, especially with wrestling, you know, there's no cuts, you know, and there's no pauses. You can't do a second take. And so um, just, you know, doing your best in one go, it really helps me in the courtroom as well um, because 
Um, there's so many people that need to be seen that day and you've got one shot to get your client bail and it's do or die sometimes. You just have to get it right the first time. There's no do-overs. And you can't change your um, the judge's opinion after you've said something. You go, oh, no, actually, you know, that they already heard it. And so, yeah, you get used to just um, going hard uh, the first time around and have, having to get it right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Have you ever had moments where you didn't get it right? And I was like, holy hell, <laughs> I just got to move forward and just get through this? Yeah. Oh, well, one of the things that is really good about it um, is, is sometimes you've got guys that, um, you know, they've got bail condition to um, not go to a certain town. And then the police uh, arrest them in that town. And they're supposed to be on um, lockdown at their house in you know, in another area. And so they've got no shot anyway. And so sometimes I like, yeah, I, I do my best to get them bail, but they were never going to get it. So uh, you just get used to um, you're putting forward your best argument, even though you know <laughs> it's not going to fly. Yeah. It must be frustrating. Like, obviously, you know, and I can, you know, I'm just assuming that you, a lot of the, your, your clients, uh, maybe Modi Pacifica, um, but how frustrating is, is that you're trying to help your people mm. and they just turn around like, ah, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. How, yeah. So how does, how does that, that affect you? Do you like, oh, what the heck? I'm just, I'm trying to help you. But Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I think they, they, it's, yeah, uh, you're the only person that's there to help them in that courtroom, you know, that you've got the police trying to prosecute or, you know, keep them in custody. You got uh, you know the people in the gallery just sort of staring at them, but you're the only friend that they've got, and then they're like, yeah, they're angry at you. Um, so it, it is uh, frustrating, but um, I just don't take it personally because I know there's a whole lot of other pressures going on in their life. You know, sometimes they're angry at me because um, you know they know that they've got children, um, you know, while they're in, in custody and they don't know what's happening. You know, whether someone's taking care of them. So it's it just, you know, you, you don't get too frustrated because, you know, it's just being directed at you, but you're not the real target. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And you um, mentioned before um, about, you know, having a sort of limit or a time limit in terms of like service, but people that uh, work in service-based roles. Um, and uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, your parents. And I was curious because you'd mentioned about how, you know, kind of looking inward toward ourselves and sort of the biggest influences on us are our family, um, especially our parents. Mm. Um, and so I was just curious because having a mom as a teacher and a, and a father as a policeman for, you know, decades um, must have been an interesting upbringing um, because they're kind of on two um, ends of the spectrum in yeah. terms of like helping prevent people or help people prepare to be contributing citizens and then the other end of like you know bringing in the offenders and all that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. so what was that like growing up and having those two different perspectives on life oh yeah I mean I, I can't say that um, you know the police you know are just trying to punish people whatnot because they do an amazing job of protecting people sometimes um, you know sometimes we um go into a trial and you find out, you know, that person really did do it. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, they, the police aren't a, like a, uh, a hammer on the community all the time. You know, they definitely um, 
make sure that some people stay alive sometimes and and so um yeah it was it was strange um i mean there, there was a sort of dichotomy or a, a, a difference in the way that um, my parents um, took an approach to, to raising me mum was very nurturing um and dad was um you know he um he wasn't ex- he wasn't uh i couldn't call him a hard man but you knew what his boundaries were um and what his expectations were um, my, the other thing I'm just realizing now is, you know, my dad, he's uh, an amazing athlete and my mum, she um, does uh, kapahaka and she does um, singing and um, um, performing. And so I think that's probably, you know, why I took to law and, and wrestling is, yeah, you know, my parents are sort of, you know, um, yeah, of those worlds, you know, yeah. And, and and how does do you recall anything about childhood in terms of how they maintained? You know, sometimes when you've been in a place too long, and I I can only say teachers because I'm a teacher now, <laughs> um, but I think back to like teachers that you just know they've been in a school too long, where like the passion is gone mm-hmm. and they're kind of just there. Um, how do you like? Do you recall anything in terms of how your parents kept that fire going in terms of the passion that made them want to be a mm-hmm. teacher or made them want to be a, a, a cop? Yeah, I think, um, well, my mum, she's always trying um, new ways of approaching um, the curriculum. She's not afraid to challenge um, uh, the higher-ups as to why certain things have to be that way. Um, Or she's, you know, sometimes she'd even just go behind their back and just, you know, do it her way because she knew that no one was going to learn it, you know, the way that they said it had to be learned. Um, And so I think... Um, her approach to reinventing or just tailoring um, uh, the things that are being taught to her students' needs just really helped. Um, and for um, my dad, um, the the, uh, the fraternity of the police really kept him going as well. He managed to find um, a squad that um, really looked out for him, that, um, you know, they'd be there for him for anything. And so... Yeah, it was finding his people within the organisation that really helped him to stick with it. I said also, and so you know what we could run back into your, your culture because you, you're Maori, Tangata Whenua, and your your dad is Irish Samoan. Yeah. So, so you, you the con, we talk about the contrast as a lawyer and the wrestling, and also the contrast <laughs> yeah. as, as, as uh, your, your cultures and your identity. And you took to, talked all your early on on in terms of um, you know Samoan wrestlers. There's a dynasty of Samoan wrestlers out there, uh, and then you talk about some of those wrestlers why they're so naturally, um, especially on the mic. We obviously we think of the the number one <laughs> Samoan wrestler we know as, as the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So how much of the in terms of your culture and you, you mentioned it that, that, that because natural athletes maybe naturally obviously we think of White Sunday maybe it's just that's one of the reasons why they're so natural in, in terms of acting and so forth. But how much of your culture do you embrace and how much of your culture do you bring into the ring when you enter uh, into the, the the stage or the arena? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things that really drew me to Warrior Wrestling was that they wanted to promote Maori and um, Pacifica cultures um when they created the title belt um they didn't call it the new zealand heavyweight championship they called it the aotearoa heavyweight championship and um if you if you take a look at it it's got um, a lot of maori um, designs on it it's got te reo on the front 
and so um, yeah, we're doing our best, uh, uh, doing our best to um, promote um, the culture through our performance as well. A lot of people ask me, "Why are you into wrestling?" I'm just like, "I'm Samoan. It's just it's <laughs> part of you know, it's it's dormant and there from the beginning." Um, and so yeah, definitely uh, everything I try to do in the ring um, is to um, reflect upon the culture and draw upon the culture as well. Uh, that warrior spirit and mentality. Um, you know, when I first uh, started wrestling training, I, I realized, uh, you know, how much of a, um, oh gosh, the person's coming for you. You know, if you're not prepared, if you don't reverse their hold, you know, I I didn't realize that you're just in it. You're just going to get slammed or flipped or um, thrown down if you don't do something. I was like, I thought we were working together, but... <laughs> No, they're coming for you. Um, and so, yeah, definitely um, finding that uh, inner drive or mm. that, that lion inside. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I try to do. Man, look forward to seeing you get your tata um, ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice one, bro. Awesome. Did you ever have a, like, growing up or on your journey, did you ever have a cultural identity crisis? Yeah, I've, I've listened to a lot of um, people who have come on your show um, and they've said that they have. And I think just part of uh, being in New Zealand is that you just get assimilated into New Zealand culture whether you realise you are or not. Um, I don't know if um, I would call it... Yeah, I think in one sense I would call it a crisis, but there was I, I didn't freak out about it, but there was some discovery that needed to occur Um I think um, because our family's very religious and, um, you know, if you look at the history of New Zealand or, or the Pacific, uh, a tool of control was uh, the, the churches and the missionaries. And so trying to, um, you know, balance that and weigh that up, you know, how, how can I be uh, a Christian when I know that they've committed so many um, misdeeds against my own people as well. How can I align with both? Um, you know, I, I think one thing that I tried to f- realize is that, you know, a sword in your hand and a sword in my hand you know, it can be the same sword, but it can be used against you and to your advantage at the same time. And so I don't view the, the, the church or the doctrine um, as evil within of itself is just how it was used and how it was implemented. Mm. One of the things that um, I've really come to understand is that the role of the Pacific Island people um, within the Christian identity as well, I I don't see them as two different things. Um, One of our beliefs um, that I really liked when I heard it for the first time is that Pacific people, the reason why that they embraced... Christianity um, when it was taught to them wasn't because they were gullible and believed whatever the white man said to them. What we believe is that they are a branch of the house of Israel from years ago, that they went through um, Hawaii and they came down to the Pacific. And the reason why that they adopted the Christian faith is because they knew it once before. It wasn't that they were getting introduced to a new religion. It was because they were reconnecting with something that they had once known before and had forgotten. Um, And so, you know, part of my um, identity crisis was reconciling those two worlds 
and um, realizing that you know my Christian faith isn't in opposition to my cultural identity. It's actually one. You know, I'm a branch of the house of of Israel. Um, that I belonged to to Israel once upon a time, or my ancestors did. And so, um, yeah, that has given me a lot of peace. So there was a crisis, but there was a solution. Wow, what an interesting perspective. Wow. You know, because you both think of cultural culture in terms of ethnicity <laughs> and mm. nationality, but you know, in terms of you, you talk about Christianity. It's interesting because um, as a lawyer, is, has there even been a time when you were, you know, defending someone? You said, Man, this guy is is guilty. This, this guy is guilty. <laughs> like, I, this guy's guilty. As a Christian, like you, you claim you to be a Christian, he's like, man, I'm just, is there, has there ever been a, a time where you have to see your conscience or you hear a bit of a dilemma like, oh, this guy's guilty. I don't know if I should be defending this yeah. guy, man. Has, has there been all... Well, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, I have my own thoughts about whether or not somebody's done something, as, as anyone does. But, you know, I can't let that inhibit my ability to act for them. I th- what what I've uh, sometimes when the evidence is placed in front of me and I you know I know within two seconds oh this guy's guilty, or at least that's what I think, you know I can't just sort of half-ass you know my efforts to help them get bail, um, because some of them have legitimate um, uh, things for the judge to consider. Well, one of the things actually that I should um, say is that sometimes the charges are ho- like. They definitely did something that was wrong, but under the law, sometimes they're more heavily charged than they need to be. And so sometimes I think to myself, well, my job's not to get them off scot-free, but so that they are charged appropriately, that they are sentenced appropriately. I think sometimes the line between a burglary and a theft is so fine that it could go either way, and the police end up going for the heavier thing. Um, but, uh, you know, when you really look at the facts, you're like, oh, well, this is more of a theft, which has a lower maximum sentence, you know, and we try and negotiate, um, you know, the evidence says that they did take this, but it looks to be more of a lesser penalty. So try to have them charged appropriately, you know, and, um, you know, I don't necessarily try and make sure that they get to commit a crime and, you know, not answer for it, but yeah. Um, my job is just to act for them. Sometimes they can't verbalize what they want to say, and I just say it on their behalf. Yeah. You don't get the hey, Uso, please, Uso. Please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uso, come on, Uso, come on, man. You don't do the turn up, turn up, buy on. Oh, okay, Uso, okay, got you, man, got you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, like, yeah, and I say that because I can imagine, because someone, oh, man, bro. Someone and, and I don't know. Maybe this in my experiences, you know, as Pacific Islanders, someone, hey, Oos, can you help me out? Oh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that some of the people, hey, bro, can you help me out? I'm Pacific Islander, or oh, I'm a Maori. Can you just, you just, just help? Me? <laughs> that hasn't occurred just yet, but I'm, I'm totally expecting that to happen at, at some point. Um, yeah, because I want to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my rate is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> come on, Oos, come on. Yeah. Man, that's really interesting though, because now I'm like, as you mentioned it, I, was, I don't actually know the difference between burglary and theft. Yeah. Once you mentioned that, I was like, there's a difference? I just <laughs> yeah. thought there were different names for the same thing. Yeah. What is the difference between a theft and a burglary? Yeah, um, so when you have a theft or a burglary, you've um, taken something that doesn't belong to you. 
Um, if you were to go um, into countdown and take something off the shelves, you're allowed to be in countdown. There's a um, implied license of your being there. If you were to, to go into someone's random house, you know, and you take something, you had no um, pr- uh, permission to be in there. So not only have you taken something, you know, there's been some form of breaking and entering or you've invaded somebody's privacy. And so, you know, that is an aggravating factor of the taking. Um, and so that's why there's a different penalty for that. Yeah. Interesting. I'm kind of seeing the more we talk why lawyers are so important in terms of like not only knowing the law and like what punishments are adopted to what laws and crimes, but also just for like being able to understand context and jargon and like the language of it, like mm. the finer details yeah. behind wording and policies and law and things like that. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, one time uh, this uh, our client had um, taken a barbecue from sort of like uh, underneath um, the person's house and um, he was being charged with burglary and was sort of like, well, he kind of did enter the space, but it's not the living space, you know? It's, so we had to make the argument, you know, can you amend the charge down? And so, yeah, it was that sort of engagement that, you know, that we try and do for our people, even though they've, they've done something that's, you know, not wise. Yeah. Also, in terms of our young people, because um, I used to do youth work and youth justice scene, and man, you know, it's some of these kids, like, like how you explain, like a lot of them are at home, um, they're around their peers, and they've got nothing to do. There's n- nothing around. Their parents are, for the majority of them, their parents are out working, working two to three jobs. So they're just at home. There's no more, like, there's people not going to sports clubs or youth groups and stuff. And so they're getting into some of these, um, I guess, um, things that they shouldn't be doing. And yet, well, um, a lot of people out there just want them to go straight to Druvie. And, and I feel like, there's this, I don't know, community responsibility that um, we should all um, take charge of. or, um, <laughs> But that's just me being a community worker. But some of the stuff that you've seen, um, do you have any I- ideas or solutions that we can do as people or families can do for their kids? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, well, at the very uh, top, um, uh, decisions need to be made and things need to be put in place because, you know, when you say the reason why the parents can't be there is because they're working two to three jobs, well, that's definitely the problem that we should be targeting then. It's not like, oh, we should have some sort of mentors in place. Let, let's go right up to the top where the problem's occurring. As long as that's happening though, yeah, you know, the problem's going to persist. Um, and so, I th- you know, those parents shouldn't feel um, responsible for their children doing anything uh, that's misguided um, because, you know, they've been shoehorned into that position. So uh, I think, yeah, right at the top, that's where the um, changes need to be made. And then the problems underneath will, a lot of them will solve themselves, I, I believe. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we need to change our uh, 
understanding of who we are as Aotearoa. Um, mm. You know, Jacinda used to refer to us as the team of, of uh, yeah, five million. And I had a little chuckle because, you know, I think that was just something that she was saying to make people, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. But, you know, there, there honestly is uh, value to that idea, not just the team, but to think of ourselves as one people or a, a family almost. I think unless you are viewing each other as an extension of yourself um, or your own family, you know, there's a, a certain limit of patience or compassion that you're going to have to that person. Um, but, uh, yeah, in terms of um, solutions uh, for that, yeah, w we do need to change our culture of how we view each other, um, our nature towards each other. Um, my dad was talking about... Um, or well, he took a trip down to his childhood home and he took a photo of, of the street and he could name all of the families that used to live in those homes. And um, for the longest time, we knew our neighbours as the Indian family and the Filipino family. We didn't know their names until, you know, recent years. And um, I think we need to return to that sort of culture of knowing who our neighbours are, um, of knowing who our community is. And I think part of the reason why we've lost that is because people have access to streaming services and internet and there's more of a reason to stay indoors and not associate with other people's because we're sitting in front of the TV and, you know, uh, subjecting ourselves to mind-numbing content. Um, and so I think, yeah, well, first of all, we need to step away from our screens and reintegrate and with the community and re-engage yeah what would you change if you had the power to um to limit or eliminate some of these offenses of like our people getting into yeah i i think i i i definitely it's just when it comes to um maori and pacifica uh people um, some of the solutions don't work because they're not appealing to um, our understanding of how the world works. Um, there's no reason why we feel a need to change if we aren't being guided by those who understand our lived experience. Um, and so definitely for Māori or Pacific communities, um, engaging with the komatua, um, allowing them to go to the marae more often and um, be under the guidance of, of um, those individuals. Um, they're more likely to respond to their own people. And so I think that's part of the answer, not the whole within itself, but we, we need to have more um, cultural or marae-based um, solutions. Um, for offenders to stop re-offending. Re and it's an, uh, interesting that you brought up, um, you know, streaming content and just the connection to the internet where it's sort of this bittersweet thing of we have access to information, but um, also there's a lot of escapism to the point <laughs> of like nothing gets done now or like it's really hard to motivate, to get motivated and to get out of the house. Do you ever find that to be a struggle of yourself or have you d 
make created habits to the point of you're good essentially forever or is it still a battle of like okay i need to get off this and like sort of get out yeah i mean you said it was a bittersweet thing and it is is i mean when i look at tiktok i'm like wow you know i see all of the hollywood movies get made and they're like terrible they're rubbish and you watch tiktok and you're like this is an original idea you know fund this and so you know there's i mean it's it's exciting and enjoyable to to watch but you know there becomes a time where you need require a bit of balance and i'm not perfect at that as well um but uh one thing that i do is i plan my week out in advance before um i enter the week on on a saturday you know i i know exactly what i'm doing for that week when's the time that i'm going to be scrolling and then when's the time i'm going to be studying or working and so you know, when I get back home from work or whatever, it's not a question of, oh, what do I do now? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I have no plan. Okay, scroll. You know, I'm like, oh, that's the time I'm at the gym. Or that's the time I'm visiting this person. Or, yeah, so really having that time management's uh, essential. Because um, if you have no plan, then that's when you'll revert to yeah, just watching TV. How do you... um? How do you, if you do, how do you make it, does the plan ever need adjusting and what would be reason enough to adjust the plan versus what would be reason enough to be like, actually, I'm not changing the plan for that. that can wait oh, yeah. I mean, there's times where, you know, you know, an opportunity for a date pops up and then it's on this, you know, she's asked the same time as, you know, I've got my wrestling training and I, I say, oh, no, sorry, I can't. I'm meeting up with the boys and, you know, we're going to be taking bumps um, but um, I think whatever's going to give me a sense of fulfillment or enrichment or you know um, help me grow as a person if something needs to change and it's going to result in that you know that, that that's what's going to prevail yeah so um, yeah it's just a reassessing you know what your needs are in that moment and um, you know what's going to answer those needs so yeah yeah. Man, I was going to ask that, like, um, you live such a busy life in terms of your profession and then you got wrestling. Do you have time to date? Or do you have a missus? Um, yeah. We're just putting it out there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. It's I, guess it. I was going to ask the same question. You said it. Oh, oh, yeah. just, do you have a smoker's board? Like, yeah, Monday, Tuesday. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Man, you, you, man, thinking, man, this guy's so committed. This is what we call man date. <laughs> Find your dates. <laughs> yeah, no, my mum would love the answer for you know that to be yes. I do have a girlfriend. No, she, she'd actually just want me to have a wife by now. She doesn't even care about the dating process. Eh? She just wants me to put a ring on someone and supply some grandchildren to her. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't have a girlfriend. Um, at the present time, um, I, I'm not on uh, any of the dating apps right now, but I have been. I, I jumped on the dating apps for the first time last year, uh, and because um, I was looking for, um, you know, it, I thought that I might be able to meet some people that I could have a connection with, or that I wouldn't otherwise run into. Um, yeah, and it's, it's been. Uh, I think I've, I only have um, positive experiences. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, dating apps don't work." Or, I know it's, I think it's, you know, I mean, they're not wrong. Sometimes they do have bad experiences, but I think my screening process is pretty good. You know, I just make sure that all the photos they have is just, yeah. 
um, they've got at least one smile with teeth, or you know. <laughs> It's all, it's all legal, eh? It's all yeah. legal. TVNZ, we found our new bachelor, bachelor. If you need him, I'll show you. Hey, he's a lawyer, yeah. he's a wrestler, he's a, he's a skax lass. <laughs> so yeah. what, what's your name? Do you, do you actually put your real name or we just... Oh, no, I got some Maximilian stuff on there. As well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, eh? Because like, well, I didn't... Yeah, I, I had the dating app and then when I became a lawyer in Maximilian, just different kinds of girls I started matching with and I was like, oh, they just, they think I got money or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it, there's diff, uh, I mean, I don't hide that. Uh, it's not like a hidden part that I'm like, oh yeah, I do wrestling. It's like, I'm proud of it, you know. Cool, man. Yeah, I'm trying to expand it and trying to get eyes on it, so. And what, how, how did the name come about, Maximilian? Why, why Maximilian? Yeah, so I was trying to think of a name because uh, I mean some wrestlers have names that sort of give you an unconscious understanding of, of who they are like the ultimate warrior you know he's the greatest fighter or, or you know um, or Hulk Hogan you're just thinking of some rippling guy even before you see him um, the undertaker you're just thinking of something like dark or morbid and so I was like oh you know what's something that could evoke emotions just based on the name or just do some unconscious word association and so i like the name maximilian italian name but um i think the name like max is sort of gives you a, a thought of maximum or going to the max and then a million is i changed the spelling um to like a million dollars or a millionaire so you hear max and you think oh maximum to the uh, to the max or and million is like, oh, he's got money, or like, yeah, he's a million dollar talent. So that's the sort of thing I was going for. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> Maximilian. <Maximilian>. Ladies. <laughs> Just see him, our um, mandate, and we'll connect you with the millions. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good. I reckon it's good, man. Because yeah. I know we've been talking about you, you being a lawyer and so forth, but you know, I think we need to touch base on on, on your uh, as a wrestler, and you know, because you know, it's quite interesting. It's interesting as you know, as, as a lawyer, and then you by day, and, and then by night you're, you're a wrestler, and so I find it, I find it quite fascinating. And then you got the name Maximilian, and so in in your wrestling world in the arena. What, who was who was your inspiration? Who was your inspiration? Is it someone in New Zealand in the professional uh, wrestling arena in New Zealand, or was it just always been someone else? Or, or who was your favorite wrestler? Oh yeah, uh, so I definitely tried to model myself um, after uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, just he was just in your face, like he was overtly sexual as well when he did his like hip thrusts and rotations. It was just like you'd never see that anywhere else. Um, and can, can you give us a demo of it? But you know, it's that sort of thing. Like you don't, you you won't run into that person in real life, and so or your everyday life, and so um, you know, it was something like that. I, I needed to go to the extreme. Um, a big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner, was another one as well. He just, I remember when he used to like kiss his biceps, and I was just like. Man, those are monstrous. Um, and so uh, those are the kind of characters I like. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, wrestlers that I've admired, um, definitely um, my coach, um, Aaron Henare, um, who's um, 
not just a great wrestling coach, but he helps me to understand about what it means to be a man. Um, he encourages um, us boys to you know, reconnect with our ancestral roots. Um, he encourages us to um, you know, think about different ways that you know, society wants to sort of make us docile and you know, actively address them. Um, and another one is um, uh, Bad Luck Fale. Um, when I went to Japan, I saw why they love him or why he's as popular as he is. Um, yeah, he, he was the underboss back then. He's turned into the rogue general now. Um, but um, he just had this um, intimidating presence. Um, but to come from um, you know South Auckland and um, go to the another side of the world and um, you know become this beloved figure, uh, and then come back here and um, you know uh, bring New Japan uh, back to New Zealand or back to Australasia. It's yeah, it's an incredible thing to to do. So those are the two um, wrestlers that I admire for the men that they are. Mm, awesome. Props to Docs Valley. Maro, Maro, you're right. I think you're right in terms of the persona. You know, you have these people who you jump in the arena, in the ring, and on stage, and the bright lights. These are these amazing figures. Like, oh wow, these these wrestlers. And I think of Ravishing Recruit because there's there's been countless stories of Ravishing Recruit, recent piece, Ravishing Recruit. And so you you obviously you know Bobby Heenan. Yeah, Bobby Heenan, the, the the manager. So this is sort of Bobby Heenan, and he was he was down on his luck. You know, he, he had no job, and he was good friends with, with uh, Ravishing Recruit. Ravishing, he, he, uh, he calls up Ravishing Recruit, hey, okay, bro, can you help me out? And this is this is the type of guy that Ravishing Recruit is. He's he goes, you know what? Give me a, give me a few minutes, and I'll, I'll come back. I'll give you a call and see if I can help you out. And so it's it's nearing Christmas time. Bobby Heenan's got no money. He's he's broke. He says he's got no presents for the kids. And then he and Recruit rings him up. Hey, bro, I got something for you. You need a um, Vince McMahon. He's, he's, he's he wants to I've set up a meeting with you and Vince McMahon. I said, oh man! And so he goes, well, he's, he's seriously, yeah, yeah. Vince McMahon wants to wants to see you. So you and so he'll, he'll give you a call. Anyway, he hangs up. Um, Vince McMahon gives him a call. A few minutes later, gives him a call. Hey, hey, Bobby, how's it going, mate? And bro, hey, I want you to catch the first flight. To New York, he's like, are you serious? Yeah, New York. I need to catch up with you. I need to, we need to have a meeting. I'm going to put you in a five star hotel. You know, everything's all paid for. Don't worry, just stay in the room. It's you're going to put you in a penthouse. All good. He catches his flight. You know, and he's thinking to himself, man, oh, I don't know. I don't know if my luck is going to change. I'm I'm really down on my luck. Anyway, he goes to, to New York, goes to the hotel, looks for Vince McMahon. Someone got someone. Um, the chauffeur picks him up. Goes up to to the hotel in New York, and then Vince McMahon says, "Hey, bro, I'm going to catch up with you the next day. Enjoy the night." Anyway, Vince McMahon rocks into the hotel room and says, "Hey, listen, let's have a meeting. Uh, I want you to be um, I want you to be part of the WWE or WWF at the time, and I want you to be a manager. And I want you to be the manager of guess who? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Ravishing Regret." Oh no no no! Oh, uh, Andre the Giant. No Andre no? the Giant. He, he did a few, so I'm Andre not sure. Well, the, the, he becomes the manager. He wants to be the manager of, of the under, of the Undertaker. Undertaker. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, man. And so he, this is the guy that that Rivershin and he, and Bobby Heenan just just says, man just lo- just loves on this guy. He's man, Ravishing Recruit. You see this guy, you see the persona. People hate him because people say, oh, I hate him. Ah, this is so vulgar, all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, he used to do all that stuff. And he used to, you remember after he, a win, he'll get the, he'll pick a female, hey, come in, come to the yeah. room. And it gives him, the, gives him a kiss and all that kind of stuff. 
But this is the kind of person Ravishing Rigrud is, and there's countless stories of this man, such a, a, a such a tough guy, a Ultimate Warrior. What did you do to Ultimate Warrior? He actually gave Ultimate Warrior a hiding. <laughs> I was like, my gosh, and this is how strong he was. And so when you're saying you're, you're and I, I look at you, that man, you're a lawyer, and you, you're a lovely guy, lovely, and you're just just getting to know you. But the persona, I can imagine when you're in that ring, <laughs> something switches, something changes, and you turn into this this wrestler, Maximilian. And so, bro, props to you. Props to you for, <laughs> props for, for, for taking on board and, and having the courage to be this person um, outside, of, out of, outside of the courtroom. And so I tell you, I share the story because you're right. People look at you, now this is the lawyer. Nah. <laughs> and they have, this, they have this perspective of who you are. But, you, but they find out you're a wrestler. Oh, oh what is he? But for real life, you're just a, you're, you're, you're a cool dude, man. Thank you. 100%, man. I appreciate it. But yeah, I thought I'd just share that because I, I have no idea why I wanted to share that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I'd rather share recruit. Yeah. I thought I'd rather share recruit. I remember rather share recruit. I said, please, after this, can you take off your shirt and can you no. show? Show. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so just go keep Anyway, anyway, back to back to, back to the podcast. Honestly, bro, it's so awesome because you almost it almost seems like this is kind of how like people like Batman are created, you're kind of in real life, like, it's almost like the next step is like vigilante justice. Like, the lawyer by day, but he goes out beating up bad guys at night. Daredevil, It's just really awesome. Um, and it's funny, there's a quote that I'd read where you'd said something like, it's not how much you want the result, um, it's how much you seek the suffering um, in terms of like getting to where you want to be. Mm. Um, and so I'm curious about sort of, I mean, I'm curious about a couple of things, but the first thing was, um, would there ever be a point, do you think, where Maximilian explodes and then you kind of have to make a choice between like, have you thought about <laughs> what it would take for you to like take that leap and be Maximilian every day oh gosh uh yeah i i it has crossed my mind a, a couple of times um and uh i, I wouldn't I, I i wouldn't um become maximilian full-time um and i can't believe i'm saying that um because you know i think at the end of the day um i'm entertaining when i'm maximilian but I'm making a difference when I'm, a, I'm the lawyer in the courtroom. And, you know, as much as I, I've had wrestlers that have inspired me, um, you know, that's, that's dormant energy, inspiration. Um, but when I'm a lawyer, I get to actively uh, sit at the table and help to a decision to get made for somebody's benefit, which can change the entire trajectory of of their life um the good thing is uh is that the new zealand professional wrestling scene um and warrior wrestling um is growing and um we want to get to the point where uh people can make a living from professional wrestling and stay in new zealand i think so many people want to do this but america or japan is a faraway dream and they've got responsibilities and family that they want to stay in new zealand for and so what we're trying to build is an organization where people can uh, uh, wrestle for a living and then get to go home to their family or get to, you know, um, do other things for their community. 
So however long that takes um, is yet to be seen. Um, guys like Aaron and Fale are working to make that dream real. Um, but we'll get there. And so eventually the time will come where I don't have to choose between being Maximilian and, and myself. I can have my cake and eat it too, so to speak. So, um, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. And um, just on that note, you know, if anyone has ever had that dream, you know, we invite them to come and see what we're doing. And if they want to be a part of us, come train with us, come be part of our brotherhood at Warrior Wrestling. Yeah, come check us out. Wow, that's, that's cool. cool. Pete. Brave man. Is it too late for Pete? Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if you want to come, it's open to everyone. You said it's too late. Speaking like a true lawyer. Oh, me. I might talk to my wife tonight, dude. Yeah. <laughs> she seems so But honestly, <laughs> though, most of us grew up watching wrestling, bro. and we yeah, all thought at one bro. stage, you're like, bro. How cool would that be to like yeah, jump man. off the top rope? I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard my siblings like see moves when we were younger. <laughs> I've done the uh, Razor Ramon and the power bomb on my little sister. Oh, and I think my brother. But yeah, they still hate me for that, but so good. Uh, I forgot what I was going to ask. Oh, well, it's like, you sound like a, a driven individual, like, and we got a lot of young people um, just come out of COVID, and, but they're all pursuing their dreams through study and whatever they're doing. And like, um, you got any encouragement for our, our youngins mm. in terms of like how to stay driven or is it about finding their purpose in life? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when I meet people and tell them I'm a lawyer, there's like an assumption that, um, you know, he must be very... Um, gifted or intelligent or um, but um, you know it wasn't a straight shot um, between A to B uh, in becoming a lawyer um, when I uh, first enrolled in university you know I entered the doors with all the optimism in the world thinking that it was going to be a five-year uh, journey and um, after the first semester I had dropped out and um, I should have been aware before I um, enrolled uh, that I wasn't in any position to do any study I wasn't sleeping well I was gaining a lot of weight I was withdrawn um, and so you know as a result I I, you know, I wasn't I didn't have the energy levels and um, I didn't know it at the time but I was suffering from a lot of anxiety and um, you know I just had to pull out of school um, and a year later, I said, oh, I know I've got anxiety and I know that um, I'm struggling a little bit, but I'm going to watch myself a little bit more. A year later, I gave it another go and I failed again. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, I'm, I guess that my dream of becoming a lawyer is at an end and I've got to move on to different things. And uh, a few years later, you know, uh, I, I had uh, two cousins who at different times um, ended up taking their lives and um, I, I can't speak to their experience or, you know, what they were going through. Um, but it did make me question how much of a struggle I was going th through, whether I had accurately assessed how bad my anxiety was affecting me. <laughs> and so I just realised, you know, if my life's at stake, I really need to make uh, an overwhelming change in all aspects of my life. 
And so, uh, you know, I started to diet. I started to read. I started to go outside more. I started to um, reconnect with friends and not be so withdrawn. And um, after doing that for a solid period of time, I thought to myself, I've made some great changes. Maybe I can give this um, law journey another go. And I enrolled again, and because I had um, done the work to put myself in a better position, I still had a lot of anxiety, but my ability to address it and respond to it had vastly improved. And so when I back, went back to university for the third time, uh, there was no looking back, and uh, I succeeded um, beyond my own expectations. Uh, what was supposed to be a five-year journey um, ended up um, being ten. Uh, but, you know, when I tell people I'm a lawyer, that's all they see now. Um, I, I wish I had known at the time I was struggling that there was this greater journey going on. Some people are pursuing their dreams and they fall flat or the door next door doesn't open or they're not able to go through it. And what I would say is just real understand that, you know, failure is part of the process, that even though you might fall down, you know, get up again and give it another go, not in the same way, maybe address certain factors that made you fall over that first time. But, uh, you know, the end's not there until you've decided that, that it's the end. You know, if you keep pushing forward, um, different doors will open and um, it'll be promising for you. So, yeah, anyone that's, uh, you know, they dropped out of school this year or their dream didn't pan out, keep pressing forward um, and... Um, you know, if you do fall, at least you'll fall forward um, if you try every time. So, yeah, keep pursuing those dreams and um, they will be realised. And some dreams change, but only because you, you failed the last time and a new door opens. So, yeah, just keep trying and, uh, yeah, your dream will be realised in one form or another. Ah, me, lose. Because, yeah, we can easily think, hey, lawyer must have, that it's, you know, must have took him just a couple of years, but hearing that story, man, there was a process, there was a struggle behind it, but you such an encouragement, like, not only for our viewers, but someone like me that's failed a paper like three times and, <laughs> and wanting to go back, I'm in a better place to want to go and complete this call that I've been trying to finish for ages, but... um. Uh, and that's cool because my daughter, she's it's her first year in uni and she's pursuing to be a lawyer. And I know it's not easy, but I've been trying to talk her out of it for the last three years. Only because I just wanted her to make sure this is something she wants to pursue. And she's, yeah, she's <laughs> headstrong. Like she's gone into, you know, this is what I want to do. And you always check in on her. I'm hoping. It's okay to move some stuff around or seeing how she is mentally and she's in a good space. But it's so cool to hear your story. Like, is there any encouragement for her circle or individuals when they're going through this phase? Like, what helped you, like, in terms of your environment and like your family support or seeking help to deal with this anxiety? Or is it? Just self-reflection. No, I definitely just straight up told my parents that um, I, you know, I wasn't dealing quite well. That I thought that something was wrong, and um, you know, it, it, those first two times I failed, they never made me feel like a failure. You know, they um, just accepted that. You know, oh, he um, did the best he could. You know, depended on 
uh, I mean, maybe that wasn't a great effort, but that was what he could put forward at that time. Um, and so, you know, uh, we talked about, um, you know, um, being a little bit more vocal and checking in. Um, they, you know, weren't afraid to tell me, oh, you know, you need to get up, you need to get out. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely surrounding yourself with people that will um, lift you up because um, you sort of can withdraw into your own headspace and which sometimes can be um, more negative than positive. Uh, yeah, and I, I took a holistic approach to um, my transformation. So I think mind, body and spirit are so interconnected um, that, you know, when you're struggling with one, the answer can be found in the others. Um, and so I hadn't picked up the scriptures in a long time. And, um, you know, I just devoted myself to uh, a, a concerted effort to study them. And I think what happened for me is, you know, I, I realized the whole world is a whole lot bigger than my own problems. And I viewed my own life in the context of something greater. Um, I never would go to the gym, even though I had a membership. I told my dad, um, oh, can you put me on a program? Um, and so he drafted up a, a, a workout plan for me, and I followed that. Um, I downloaded um, a calorie counter, and um, I'd, you know, type in how much food I was eating. Um, yeah, I whenever there was like a, an event, I'd make sure to uh, take on a task uh, in helping set up that event. So I would have to go there. Um, and so, you know, it, there wasn't one way to solve the issue, but um, yeah, I, I tried to um, take a holistic approach to the healing, and the transformation, and that's what paid off. Thanks also for sharing that. Because I just thought you were born like this. And I was like, man, this guy's got everything. He's a lawyer. He's out in the street. <laughs> <laughs> minute, I was getting jealous, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's just like us, guys. You yeah. just got to be disciplined. <laughs> man, that's really cool. Um, it's really interesting hearing that. Um, because similarly, I actually started my studies back in 2011 to be a teacher. I'd just come off my mission and I thought, oh man, like I loved teaching so much. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. And then um, I kind of felt like I, I studied, I did okay, um, but I was still young and kind of still wanting to experience the world. And um, I found I got stuck with this question about, is it better to pursue your talent or what you're talented at or to pursue your passion? And um, I went back and forth on this for so long to the point of like I ended up just spinning my wheels. And um, it really reminded me of something, something you had said really just resonated with like me reflecting on that journey. And you said something along the lines of like people wait too long for a rescue that isn't coming. Um, and I think sometimes, at least for myself, I overthink to the point of like I actually don't do anything. Like a whole day has gone and I've spent it thinking about like the what ifs and all this kind of thing. Um, so just really interesting to hear that it's been kind of a two steps forward, one step back. Um, and even if that two steps forward, one step back goes in a circle, you've been able to like pull from your experiences. And it it seems like that's kind of what sets you apart today in, in all your roles. Um, but I was just curious about your um, your thoughts on pursuing passion and talent and I guess you kind of touched on it already in terms of being who people need you to be 
versus being who you want to be or being who you are. <laughs> and like sometimes there's a clear divide between those two things, but other times it's, you know, maybe there's room for it to be one and the same kind of thing. Um, so yeah, no, I was just curious about your thoughts on talent, passion. Yeah, I, I, I've had a lot of friends who um, started out studying something and then realised they weren't that interested in it, went off to something else. I think if you pursue your interests or passions, your interests and passions can change as you change as a person. Um, what I would advise is to choose uh, a need in society that you're um, drawn to because whether or not that you're passionate about a particular thing, the need will remain. Uh, and so in your willingness to help somebody with that need usually won't just dissipate as well. And so basing you know, your decision on what to do with your life on addressing a need um, is a lot better than uh, basing it on you know, what am I interested in at this time in my life because you might go on OE and realise you know, the world is a whole lot bigger than you thought and you know, immediately your, your plans change if you base something on interest. Um, so yeah, that would be my advice. Awesome advice, by the way. I've never considered it through that perspective, but that's awesome, bro. Thank you. Yeah, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Awesome. And thank you so much for your honesty. You know, people might, like I said before, people perceive you and look at you. Oh, this is probably, this guy's got a, a straight A student. This guy, yeah, he's, he has everything so talented and so forth. But the truth is, be told that, hey, you, you do have own struggles. And thank you for sharing your your, your own anxiety um, experience as well. And, and um, uh, rest in peace to, to your, your whanau who, who passed away. And so, bro... It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure tonight uh, chatting with you. Uh, yeah, the, our first on, on, at the table, first uh, Samoan lawyer, uh, lawyer and, a, and a wrestler at <laughs> one go. And so it's, it's been a real privilege, bro. But in terms of our, our men, because it is um, the whole premise is about our men. In terms of um, the, the stats, uh, more so our Pacific and Morning men, what do you think needs to be the change? Is it, uh, and, and we've talked about it uh, several times tonight, but what do you think needs to be the, the change? Is it the system or is it a collaboration with the system and our people or could it be our people? Uh, it definitely is a bit of both. We can't just put the blame outwardly. Um, we definitely have to look inwardly as well. So it's a combination of both those things. I mean, the way that society is designed is, designed is to you know, um, make us work and earn money for somebody else and uh, limit resources and opportunities so wealth gets built, um, you know, for the elite or um, whoever that may be, you know, is up for debate. Um, but, you know, definitely the system of capitalism and, you know, working a nine-to-five is in intentional. Um, and, you know, we're not necessarily built to do just that. And, but, um, you know, we're shoehorned into doing that to survive. Um, and so definitely on a um, outward approach, we, we need to um, address, you know, what may be um, uh, addressing, giving our, our people some, some balance or some, some additional purpose. 
in terms of um, looking inwardly, I think um, pride is still um, a prevalent reason why um, people don't share at the appropriate times. Um, we're afraid of uh, looking weak. You know, when we come to um, sit-downs like this, it's become so easier to share because we know that this is a time for sharing, um, but some people don't have the people to share to or there's no set time to do that. And, you know, they don't want to make things awkward. Um, and so I think looking inwardly, we need to set aside times like... Um, I, I, yeah, I don't drink kava myself, but I can understand the benefit of, you know, sitting around the meeting place and having a talanoa and, um, you know, I, not all cultures have that opportunity. And so finding ways to implement that into our lifestyle, um, you know, so everybody can have this roundtable discussion wherever they are with their own people is really important. Marosui for. That's good um, affirmation for what we're trying to achieve here as a podcast, like normalizing these conversations and also like, because we know we got there's men out there that listen in and, and women and families that uh, get encouraged by some of the stuff that we're normalizing. Uh, but we, we also want to... Uh, people to create the space in their own circles that um, like you said that there's a time where they get to share and offload and and also be encouraged so um, thanks for that also um, yeah just it's, it's so cool like um, just meeting you bro because um, it's easy to judge a book by its cover like I didn't know who you were and as we unpack stuff and and um, it's easy to go, oh man, this guy, you know, suit, judged by his suit, judged by his looks and the profession. Um, but, you know, everyone's the same, eh? Like in terms of we've got the same struggles. Um, we might have different paths that we choose or um, different cards that we're dealt with. But um, some of these conversations help us um, unpack things and help us choose another path or um have tools to deal with some of these barriers that are in our lives. So um just thank you also for like being here tonight, sharing your story, being bold enough to share it as well and um just and encourage in the space that you work in because it's a space that we're all quite passionate about in terms of our people and hoping that um we're encouraging the next generation so we don't have our men in a place that they shouldn't be at. and so um thank you for the work that you do and uh, man i can't wait to catch up with you in a few years or a few months and see what you're doing because i'd be really interested to know your your next set of goals like where do you see yourself because man if you keep on going the way you're going and just like some of your insight and let's vote for Bronson or <laughs> Max Money. That's the next prime minister. Max a trillion. Max a But yeah, just thank you also. Man, um, yeah, I think just Totoko, um, the, the brothers and acknowledging you and, and your journey. I'm really inspiring. And I think it's really interesting that like, even as men, 
in the same city, like just different perspectives. I really feel like you provided some real fresh perspective on things that I can be like, man, that's cool. Actually, I haven't, I've never ever considered some of the things you've said before any other way than like black or white. And so it's really cool to shed some new light on like, actually, it could be this or that or a mix of, of things. So I just wanted to give you big ups on like sharing a bit of yourself because I think I'm hoping the audience will connect and like really be enlightened by just the way you do things. It's so different, um, at least to my own personal um, way of being. But um, I just want to acknowledge it as amazing. I think it's awesome. Um, I'm really curious about your next... You seem like almost a creative at heart. Like, um, although, you know, you do law by day, I think even if you weren't doing wrestling, there'd be some other creative outlet, it seems. And so I'm curious about what comes next. So once Maximilian um, retires, uh, do you have any sort of creative goals on the horizon that you'd be like, actually, you know what, I wouldn't mind giving that a go? Oh, yeah. Well, definitely my whole life uh, is wrestling. Um, if I'm not in the ring, I'll make a transition to the backstage and um, support that way and try and be a producer or some kind of manager. So I'll always be a part of, of wrestling if I get a torn ACL and have to give it up or whatever. It's, yeah, as soon as I have my first major injury, I might call it quits, but um, we'll see what happens. Maybe the fire will still be there. But uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I'll always be a part of wrestling. But um in terms of uh, creating, yeah, I've always wanted to. Um, I mean, I secretly have written uh, short stories uh, to myself, and um, you know, I was running up to um, the comic store on on K Road. So, writing stories uh, like that, yeah, um, maybe um, write some things for um, DC or Marvel or something at some point in time. I really enjoy um, anime and manga as well, mm. and so yeah, I want to get amongst that scene. Maybe I kind of want to do one voiceover for one role on one anime show somewhere. But uh, nice. yeah. That, if you that, could pick an anime, which would it be? Oh, well, it's coming to an end, but I I think Attack on Titan has been my favorite at the moment. Um, but um, my favorite anime of um, all time is one called Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And so, uh, yeah, I'm always waiting for the next uh, round of, um, uh, yeah, that season to come out. But, um, yeah. Man, that's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Again, another layer um, unlocked. And again, I think just sort of that alignment of storytelling. Like, again, that's another form of narrative that you're interested, uh, you know, that you're into. And I think even right now, you're crafting this narrative to your life that I think would be really cool to reflect on when all is said and done. So, man, supporting you, yeah, cheering you on, and um, just just big ups, bro. Awesome. Yeah, man. Pre- yeah, appreciate your time, bro. It's been a real privilege and a real pr- uh, pleasure. And so, just you do. You talked about the voiceover. What kind of voice? Can you can you give us a bit of a? I mean, if we had to kind of do a bit of a character, in, let's say like a villain. What what kind of, of voice would you um, uh, portray or convey? Oh yeah, I I. Uh yeah, well, I think yeah, my favorite uh, Disney villain is Jafar. It's uh, something along those lines that, um, I mean, that's something that I have to practice on. I'm not about to bust out a performance <laughs> right now. Eh? So far, it's just been in front of the mirror. I need to uh, get some criticism and work on it before I present it. But yeah. Oh, man. That's a good point, though. 
Um, you know, you mentioned before about pride, and I imagine in terms of like getting into professional wrestling, you kind of have to put yourself out there a bit. But then there must be some pride as well um, inside. And so, how do you go in terms of um, taking pride in in your character, but then also getting feedback? Because sometimes that can be really tough. And like, I suppose you can critique yourself to a degree, but then getting critique from people you trust. Maybe it might be Aaron. Um, but just how do you kind of do? You have to soften the blow a bit and prick yourself for like the hearty criticism or do you just take it like it is what it is yeah i mean i definitely do have to take a few breaths like after a show and i see i've got a message from aaron i just pause for a second because yeah i I know he um is only doing it for my own benefit um so that's what you know if i've stuffed up i think the first time i went uh out into the ring i need someone uh, straight in the face and gave them a black eye and that was the first thing I did so I was like oh um, but uh, yeah I just understanding that criticism um, is just going to help me to be better you know just have to um, take it on the chin and realize that I'm only going to be better for it. Yeah. Does it does it soften the blow to know that he has your best like your best interest at heart uh, absolutely. He overtly says that he wants to bring us up to the level that he operates on. And, you know, if that's the method, then uh, to get the result, then that's the method to get the result, you know. Um, yeah, so he, he's, um, you know, I think he could coddle us if he wanted to, but then we'd never get there. So, yeah. Ah, oh, cool. Uh, I think the reason I ask is it just made me think about, like, the importance of giving and receiving criticism, but like the intention behind it. Mm. Um, I think sometimes we struggle, I think just in general as people, um, to be able to take criticism, but also to be able to give it in a way that like, we either worry too much about how it's going to be perceived to the point where we don't give it at all, Mm. um, or we don't know how to like, kind of ease them into it. So we just drop like this massive boulder on the head and, you know, (laughs) yeah, that seems unfair. So no, that's cool. It was just interesting to hear that. Yeah. Or you just need them in the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, no, it is. It is. And good, good. Yeah, thank you, Jay. The awesome questions. But also, hey, real privilege, real pleasure once again. But every guest that does come on, on the podcast, we always give them a gift. And so we gotta, we gotta, we always do a caricature of how we envision our, our guests to be. And so on behalf of the Mandate team, this is for you, Moose. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, you got me looking real handsome. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm shirtless, too. Got you, got you, got you on the River She Recruiter post. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate this. This means a lot to me. Oh, thank you. So, and the guest always gets the last word. And so, anything you want to share? Anyone, any any last? Uh, oh, sorry, before we do the last word, is there anyone that you can think of um, that, that could be ideal to come on, on the podcast? Uh, yeah, I can think of. Uh, uh, Two different sets of people, um, especially in an age where um, media literacy is very important, and how we understand that you know um, the, uh, the media can change um, public opinion. Um, uh, having on um, Mare Haimona Riki, who's um, a, a reporter and a newsreader for um, Te Ao Māori News on Fakata Māori. Um, and he could be accompanied by someone else I've met who works for Tangata Pacifica. Um, Nueli Maafu, 
who um, putting out great stories um, for our Pacific people. Um, the other set of people I, I've thought of um, is uh, Dr. Hiram Martin. So someone from, uh, he's a dentist who owns um, Waikato Dental. Um, oh, and yes. uh, someone else that works for him is uh, Terence Reed, the Samoan Maori um, dentist um, who, you know, run a business as well. And sometimes they'll just get in the car, go to um, Mahia and do free dental for like a week. Um, they're, they're all about the people. So um, just having someone from the health sector um, or in dentistry might be something that you haven't had yet that, that could be beneficial. So, um, yeah, those sets, uh, yeah. Man, hopefully they can do my teeth on the show. <laughs> <laughs> do my dentures, yeah. Oh, awesome, yeah. awesome, man. Thank you. So, and, 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 and just any last words of encouragement? Uh, I think I mentioned before that, um, you know, I struggled um, when I um, went to university and that was on my academic record. And when I had to apply for jobs, uh, that's what they saw is that it took me uh, – over 10 years to get this degree. And I thought to myself, I've cooked my own goose, you know, I, no, no employer is going to look at that and give me a chance. Uh, that's not the case. I was fooling myself. I was just straight up um, with what had happened um, with the um, employers that I have now. They still gave me a chance, you know. Um, I think that some people think, oh, that's the end of that dream. I've already messed up. Uh, there's still hope for you. Um, these employers were the first ones that I told I was a wrestler as well. Sometimes I'd dance around it and, and say, oh, yeah, I do uh, athletics or, you know, I do some grappling. I just told them straight up, oh, I'm, I'm a wrestler. Uh, and um, yeah, those were the first employers to give me a job. So um, there's people out there who will invest in you, um, who will um, take you under their wing and, and give you a shot. And um, I've seen the guests that you guys have had on this show and they've... They, they're making a difference or they've got great accomplishments and you let me share this platform. And so I appreciate you for investing in me as well. Um, feel free to come to my shows and, and um, bring the family. Um, we'll put you in the front row. Just we'll leave your name at the door. Um, if I blow up, I'll come back on the <laughs> show. I'll remember yeah, this. Awesome. So I, I appreciate it. So anyone at home, um, who's uh, you're thinking, you know, they've messed up. There's hope for you yet. Just keep pressing forward. Well, Steve, thank you. Thank you for those words, man. Also, and please uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and look forward to your well-thought-out comments. And once again, thank you also. Thank you, Bronson, for, for your, your time. And so, as usual, brothers. Refine. Unlock. And take, take charge. Mandate. A few moments later. Who was your favorite wrestler? Oh, I have to come down to Scott Steiner. Big Papa Pump, big bad booty daddy. Genetic <laughs> freak. <laughs> what is your favorite wrestling signature move? Oh, I've taken uh, Booker T's uh, scissor kick. Uh, no one else is doing it, and there's nothing like it as well. I'm still trying to get as good as he does it, but uh, I'm getting there. I'm working on my uh, stretches. What's harder, being a lawyer or wrestler? Oh, definitely uh, <laughs> being a, a, a lawyer, I, yeah. Uh, I think maybe if I performed at the top level as a wrestler, I might have a different answer, but yeah. If you could get rid of one crime, but you had to commit it yourself, <laughs> what would it be? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, 
Oh, what's a low level charge? <laughs> Be honest. Yeah, but oh, probably just graffiti or something. That's a safe answer. Right? <laughs> and last one. How do these girls get a hold of you? Um, oh. <laughs> Bandage.